And too much concern for that can rob us of the love and the honor and the belonging that Jesus has made available to us in the kingdom of God. So just to review, Paul is talking to the Galatian church, and basically he's telling them um, a, a story. You remember Paul has been traveling all over the, the Middle East setting up churches. He set up the Galatian church, but he's going to tell them a story about a church that he'd set up in Antioch a long time ago, and a time that an interaction that he had with Peter when Peter came to visit that church in Antioch because that church was having a similar problem as the problem that the Galatian church is having. And just to kind of get you over a speed hump here, when Paul writes this letter, he's using both of Peter's names. He calls him Peter, and he also calls him Cephas, which was the name his mommy called him. And Jesus renamed him Peter. So he kind of uses Peter and Cephas interchangeably, so don't get lost, okay? Right? You with me? All right. Okay, so let's have a look at Peter. Remember, Peter started out, he was just a fisherman. He was just a guy. He didn't have any education. You know, he smelled bad. He worked with his hands. He was just this guy, kind of looked down on by the people who had education and lived in the church and all that stuff. And Peter was a Jew, been a Jew all his life. He was comfortable being a Jew. All his friends were Jews. He went to Jewish church. I mean, he just knew how to be a Jew. And one of the things, one of the rules that the Jews had to follow is that you don't hang out with Gentiles. You are part of the Jewish community. You're on the inside of that community and the Gentiles are on the outside of the community and you don't hang out with them if you can possibly help it. That was just kind of one of the rules. And then all of a sudden, one day, Peter becomes Jesus' main guy. Jesus' right-hand man. It's a big change for him, a real culture shock. I mean, think about it. Peter walked on freaking water with Jesus. Okay? That, that Peter. That Peter. He and his buddies James and John now run the church, the Christian church in Jerusalem, which is set up by the original apostles that hung out with Jesus. Peter and James and John run that church together. Everybody looks up to him. Everybody admires him. Everybody knows that he was like simpatico with Jesus, so they come to him with their questions. He knows stuff. That's Peter now. And, you know, it had to feel pretty great. I mean, he had to really like that role. And then one day, Peter's hanging out, and God sends him a vision. You remember, he said God sent him a vision of uh, a big sheet being lowered down from heaven, and it's full of all kinds of unclean animals, and God says, you know, kill and eat. And Peter's like, oh, no, I'm a good Jew. I would never consider doing that. And all of this is, is God helping Peter to realize that he's about to go and talk with some Gentiles and share the gospel of Jesus with them. And it kind of took God a while to get Peter to be okay with that, so that when Cornelius, the Gentile, came and said, would you please come and talk to Jesus, talk, talk about Jesus to us, Peter was able to go and, and be able to talk to them and actually even go inside their house 
and preached to them and they came to know Jesus and God gave them the Holy Spirit. And so that was a thing that Peter did that he wasn't expecting at all. Okay, so Peter has a theology about Gentiles. He understands now that Gentiles are part of the family of God and that God is including them. So let's just have a look at Acts 15, 1 to 11, um, where Paul comes from Antioch, where Paul has set up a, a church of Gentiles and Paul's going to have his first interaction with Peter. Here's how this goes. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem and meet with the apostles and the elders about this question. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything that God had been doing through them. And then some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, these Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After a great deal of discussion, Peter got up to address them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my own lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God? by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through grace that our Lord Jesus that we're saved just as they are. So the big three, Peter and James and John, verified Paul's gospel and said, yep, you're preaching the gospel of Jesus. That's the same one. And those Gentiles are not going to be required to be circumcised or obey food laws or follow the laws of Moses. Just teach them to follow Jesus. So Paul goes home to Antioch, and Peter's theology about the Gentiles is sound. But Peter has very little contact with Gentiles, okay? He's not really hanging out with them. He just understands in his heart that they're brothers and sisters in Christ. His reputation, he is one of the big three, a true blue Jew, a leader of the home base church in Jerusalem. That's his reputation. That's who he's known to be. So, now let's look at Paul. Paul, different from Peter, Paul starts out as the upper crust, well-educated, well-dressed, well-shod, smart as the Dickens, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He keeps all the rules, knows all the laws. He is theologically perfect. And because he's perfect, he's filled with zeal for making sure that the Jewish congregation is perfect too. And because he's got this perfect theology, he becomes a perfect murderer. He chases down those heretic Christians and throws them in prison or gets them stoned. And then, remember Peter got lifted up by Jesus, Paul gets humiliated by Jesus. Paul gets blinded and thrown into the dust by Jesus. He is completely humbled. He winds up spending 13 years in the desert alone with Jesus. 
And he finds out that his perfection is garbage. Jesus gives him the gospel instead. So then Paul begins to preach this gospel to the Gentiles around him, because that's who's around him at this point. He's in Damascus. And people begin to believe in Jesus. So Paul has these Gentile converts, and he begins to set up churches. He sets up church in Damascus, and a church in Antioch, and a church in Galatia, and churches here and there and everywhere. And he, but because he, he's you know, moving around in the desert taking care of everybody, he has to write letters to keep them all on track. And at some point, the question of do the Gentiles have to obey the law comes up and he takes Barnabas and treks off to Jerusalem and he meets Peter and James and John and they all say, yep, yeah, you're good, it's all wonderful. And they verify his teaching. They send him off to preach to the Gentiles. They don't add any requirements to what he's preaching. So his reputation is that he's a great asset to the church, but he's kind of... Well, you know how you would feel about, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer is converted to Jesus and he starts setting up churches. He's kind of an outsider. He's a little crazy. He's a little crazy. But he's, you know, he's solid with Jesus. We're good with him. But that's his reputation. He's a wonderful apostle, just yeah, kind of an outsider. So the situation earlier had been that Paul was leading this church in Antioch. This is when he was still in Antioch with the church that he set up. And they are a Gentile church with a few Jews here and there. And the leadership in Jerusalem has blessed them. Now, Paul is somewhere else and he's writing a letter to the church in Galatia that he also set up telling them not to be intimidated or deceived by these people who want them to obey the law. And he's telling them the story of something that happened when he was in Antioch and Peter came from Jerusalem for a visit. And Peter was hanging out because you don't visit for two days in those days. You visit for six months because it's a long drive. Okay, so this is when Peter came to visit Antioch and he'd been hanging out in the church in Antioch. And Peter kind of had the willies about hanging out with all these Gentiles, but he made himself get over it because his theology was good. So he made himself eat with the Gentile Christians and do church with the Gentile Christians and hang out with the Gentile Christians and sit at the same lunch table with the same... You know, I mean, he's, he's doing a good job. And then... Some people came from James back in Jerusalem, and when they arrived, Peter stopped hanging out with the Gentiles. Here's what happened. We're going to look at Galatians 2, verses 6 to 4. This is where we're back studying Galatians. He says, as for those who, this is Paul talking, as for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me because God shows no favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I'd been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the task of preaching to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James and Cephas and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Bartimaeus the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace that was given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. 
All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, which I had been eager to do all along. But then, then when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So what's going on here? Paul with his Jewish and Gentile church in Antioch and Jesus and Peter from Jerusalem. One of two things might be going on here. And, and we, the Bible doesn't really explain what's happening. But one of the things that might be happening, and probably is what's happening, is those men from, from Peter, I mean from James, they all kind of... The Peter who came from James were Judaizers. They were from the circumcision group. It could be that they had corrupted James and led him astray, or it could be that they were acting against his orders and speaking things that he didn't authorize them to speak. What we know is that when they got to Antioch and they saw Jewish Christians eating with Gentile Christians, they flipped out. I mean, circumcision is one thing, but you don't eat with them. Ew! They may be clean, but they're not us. And Peter and the other Jews cave in to their longing to belong. These are people they've known all their lives. They want to be part of that familiar and be accepted by the people they look up to and respect. People they're comfortable with. Peter who's, people whose opinions matter to them. I mean, eating with Gentiles was kind of awkward and uncomfortable. They were making themselves do it, but it was a little weird. So it might have been really kind of neat to have an excuse to pull back and blame it on God. That's one thing that might have been happening. Another thing that might have been happening, we don't really know, maybe the people who came from James were not Judaizers. Maybe they had come from James to bring a warning and say, you know, the Judaizers are persecuting the church in Jerusalem. You guys need to watch out. Maybe Peter and the other Jews said, you know what, we better start obeying the food laws and toeing the line and watching the mark and dotting the I's and crossing the T's because we don't want to get persecuted and we don't want our Gentile friends persecuted. Maybe they drew back out of fear. Which sounds really nice, but it's still fear. Either way you look at it, they're acting against the gospel of Jesus and what God has taught them. Their longing to belong or their fear of dangerous people has caused them to become hypocrites. They're not being true to what they believe. So Paul has to confront them. Now remember, Paul is known as kind of a valuable but crazy person. 
and he's outnumbered. All the Jewish Christians are over there, and his Gentile Christians are over here, and they're kind of watching to see what's going to happen because they don't really have any authority to say anything. Paul's sort of one against many. So this is kind of a scary thing for him. He knows he's seen as sort of a weirdo and a bit of a crackpot, but he's got to speak because God is pushing him. It's uncomfortable for him. Any of us that have ever had to confront somebody know that it's not fun. It's not fun for Peter either. Think about it. Peter, even though he's one of the the three pillars of the church in Jerusalem, even though he's Peter who walked on water with Jesus, he's also Peter who betrayed Jesus. His most painful memory in his whole history is denying Jesus. Jesus forgave him, but it's still, it's a sore spot for him. So when the Judaizers accuse him of violating the food laws with Paul and the Gentiles, Peter denies it. I'm not one of them, he says. Paul says, there's your rooster. Paul says, you deny the gospel with this behavior. He must have felt it in his bones. Hard for Peter to hear. And it's hard for any of us to hear that we deny Jesus sometimes by the way we act, trying to fit in. Our longing to belong and our fear of dangerous people can cause us to be hypocrites and sin. Our need to protect our reputation with others you go on the internet, you check out, just, just type in reputation. You're going to get a million listings of people who will fix your reputation online because it's important what other people think about you. And too often we don't even realize that we're turning away from God until after the damage has been done. After our hypocrisy has caused someone to discount Jesus or discount us. I'll tell you a story about how this happened to me. I was a member of a church when I was at seminary in Ashland, little teeny church about maybe about this size. We are a little teeny. Um, and the pastor of the church was, it was his first pastorate. He was a young guy. And many members of the congregation were seminary professors and university professors and big wigs in town and you know, people that you would want to impress and be in good with. I certainly wanted to impress them and be in good with them. I liked and admired every single one of them. I liked and admired my pastor, too. But he was kind of inept, you know? He wasn't sinning, but he was kind of not a great preacher, kind of socially awkward, not real successful at talking to people about Jesus, sort of a bumbler. And there began to be murmurings in the the congregation that he should be replaced. He wasn't good enough. I was a deacon in that church, believe it or not. Um, I found myself, without thinking, without praying, 
just automatically siding with the people I wanted to impress. I wound up siding against him and pushing him to resign. And he did resign. He left the ministry. Never went back. Didn't lose his face, thank you. But we broke his pastorate. And I was part of that because I wanted to fit in. I wanted those people to like and admire and respect me and be my friends. So I made myself one of them. And because of that, I became a hypocrite and a sinner in that situation. It can happen so fast, so fast. So we really have to be careful about how this happens. I want you to think for a minute about the people in your life that you respect and admire and want them to like you and wonder and ask God, is there anything that I am doing that would betray Jesus just so I could get to fit in with them and belong with them? You remember grade school? You remember junior high? I know you don't want to remember that. You remember being bullied or not fitting in or not being to have anybody sit at the lunch table with you? Or you remember being a bully or one of the popular crowd and how wonderful it was to fit in? It's in all of us. We care deeply about our standing in our social circle, and that is hardwired into us. God put that care, that desire to fit in, into our brains because it helps us to learn to love one another. It also keeps us alive. One human being by themselves isn't going to survive long. We need each other. So God hardwired us to care deeply about how people think of us, how they feel about us. And that's not wrong. What's wrong is when we care more about that than we care about being right with God and how he feels about us and fitting in with him. Abraham Maslow was a psychological researcher, scientist, way back in the day. And he came up with a pyramid of human needs. In the very bottom layer of that pyramid, we need things like food and water and sleep, things like that. And then the next layer above that, we need shelter and some warmth. Okay, Those are things that if we don't have them, we really don't care about anything else until we get them. And Maslow put just above that our need to belong, our need to be part of a loving community, or at least part of a community that's not trying to kill us. I would submit that there are times in our lives when that need is more important even than food and water and shelter. We can do without those for a while for the sake of being part of a loving community. And Maslow's point was, you don't care about self-actualization and creativity and, you know, straightening out your karma until you've got that met. Our deepest satisfaction comes through acceptance into unconditional love and unbreakable belonging to a people. We constantly have to choose because that need can be corrupted. It can become perverted. We have to choose. Are we going to give everything to belong to a worldly community 
or are we going to be part of the kingdom of God? Which way? We've got to choose. We're always having to choose. Remember, Jesus said you cannot serve two masters. You're going to have to pick because you're going to wind up loving one and hating the other. That's just how it works. Earlier in Galatians, remember, Paul had said, if I were still trying to please people, I wouldn't even be an apostle of Christ. So we have to choose and we have to keep choosing day by day, moment by moment. And when we realize we've chosen wrong, we've got to back up and choose over. What slavery we live under when we long for the good opinion of others. Remember the story of Jesus who healed the blind man and after he'd been healed, the uh, synagogue leaders called his parents in and said, who healed him? And they, they didn't want to say, they knew, they didn't want to say, so they said, ask him. Because they didn't want to confess Jesus in the synagogue because they didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. They wanted to belong in the synagogue. They'd been there all their lives. So they were chicken. They became hypocrites. The the, uh, Gospel of John talks about how some of the synagogue leaders themselves believed in Jesus, but they wouldn't confess it. They wouldn't say so because they didn't want to get thrown out of the synagogue. They wanted to belong. They were afraid. He says, because they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. We all do it. Think about jokes you laugh at that you shouldn't. Or conflicts you avoid that you really should address. Or the times when you keep mum, when you ought to speak up. Or you turn a blind eye to something that you ought to point out. Because you want to belong to the people around you, people who would get mad and scorn you and not like you anymore if you did what you ought to do to be part of the kingdom of God. And I'm saying you, it's the royal you. (laughs) Me too. See, we have to love the people of the world. But we're not supposed to belong to them. Well, what are we supposed to do? We've got to belong somewhere. We're hardwired in our brains to belong. Well, we don't need their praise and acceptance, and here's why. We're going to do a little exercise. I want you to close your eyes and relax. It's okay if you fall asleep. We've all done it. Somebody will wake you up in time for lunch. Just close your eyes and relax. Imagine standing in heaven. The vast family of God is around you in the spiritual realm All the angels who are on assignment to guard and protect you. All the people throughout history who have loved God. Moses and Rob Wilson and Noah and Enoch and Barb and Tom Hall and Abraham and Ruth and Mary, and Mary Magdalene, and Peter and Paul, and James and John, 
Augustine and Bill Curtis, Martin Luther, Martin Luther King, C.S. Lewis, and Dwayne Etter, and Mother Teresa, and millions and millions and millions of sisters and brothers of Christ from times long past and countries around the globe. From the Neolithic person who decided to be kind to his enemy instead of hitting his enemy. To the little child who said, tell me about Jesus. With them are your own ancestors and friends who are members of the kingdom of love. And closest to you of all, holding you by both hands as our Savior. And above all is the one who sits on the throne, too bright and beautiful to see. And the Holy Spirit connects us all. And every single one of them sees you and knows you inside and out. They know your sins and your struggles. They celebrate your victories and your heroism. They root for you and love you and pray for you. Can you choose to belong to them? Or would you rather try to please and placate and manage and maybe be conditionally accepted by the world? I know you make your choice. Let's keep making it. Would we rather fear humanity or fear God? Everybody wake up. Let's pray together. Father, help us to be aware of the habits of our fleshly minds that want to belong to the world and fit in with the world. Our minds that fear the consequences of not fitting in. Help us to hear the rooster crow when we deny you and our belonging with you and your family. Help us repent when we deny you. Help us to rest in your loving presence and acceptance. Give us power in your spirit to show the world our peace and belonging in you so that they can desire you too. Amen.